You are listening to episode 296 on University of Adversity. And then I did a few good films. And then there came this like massive opportunity where I was had the chance to body double for Tom Hardy in uh, Batman, right? And he plays the character Bane. And at the time I was like big and stocky. I was into bodybuilding and stuff. And I went to this audition and they were like, look, are you willing to shave your head? And are you willing to get like put on even more weight if we need you to? I was like, yes, yes, definitely. And literally, mate, a week later, I'm on set with Tom Hardy, Christian Bale, Anne Hathaway, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman. I'm like, this is it. This is it. I've made it. I've made it. I did six months on Batman. Then I did another film with Benedict Cumberbatch after that, which was amazing. We had like a wicked fight scene. And I did like a few more bits on TV. And then literally out of nowhere, and I don't know why this happened, all the work dried up. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Hope you guys are having an amazing day today. My guest today, his name is Liam Collins. We had such a powerful conversation and we had spoke a couple of weeks ago or even I think it was only a week ago or so. But this guy's perspective on life and adversity is pretty amazing. And I can see why he's so successful and how he, how he looks at life and how he does his business because of his, his optimism, right? His perspective he comes from a place of empowerment not from a place of victim and that is such a huge thing in how we move forward so he's suffered some terrible loss some trauma in his years some things within his his career his pursuing his dreams that didn't go as planned just like it happens for a lot of us but this was really something that he was working towards and he was forced to pivot and the pivot ended up being what he ended up creating massive success from so this is such an awesome episode i really like this guy powerful dude as you'll hear and we really unpack his story from the beginning to the end where we're at now and what he's offering and his coaching program and how to help entrepreneurs business people build courses and this is something that is really important especially now taking advantage of a, a time where you can get your message out there. You are able to craft your story into a program. And so many people have that in them. They just don't know how. So um, it's a beautiful conversation that will give you guys some action steps on how you can create that for yourself. So enjoy the show. If you guys haven't already, please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. If you do get value from this, please leave us a review on Apple. It's always greatly appreciated or wherever you're listening to this. This is also available on YouTube if you prefer to watch that. So without further ado, Liam Collins coming right up. Here we go. Liam, what's up, my brother? Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Lance, the university of adversity. Like as soon as we started talking, I knew that I needed to be on the university of adversity, right? Especially having experienced adversity. So mate, massive respect for what you're building here and the story and the message. So thank you for having me on. Thank you, brother. Yeah, we had a brief conversation over, I think it was one of the instant message platforms, Instagram or Facebook, whatever. And you, we had started, you told me about what you've been through. And I was like, okay, I got to get this guy on my show. Like this guy, because 
what you're doing is amazing, first of all, and so important. And we'll get into that. We'll keep everybody in suspense a little bit. But it's the story leading up to that and the different levels of adversity that you've been through. So let's, I want to, I kind of want to paint a picture for everybody. Um, if they're just getting to know you, you know, sometimes if we, during these journeys, we get to know somebody at a certain stage in their life, but I like to take it right back to the beginning for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was it like for you growing up? What was your childhood like? Walk us mm. through that. And was there any key pivotal moments that shaped who you are today? Oh man, like that is a big question, isn't it? That's a big question. I'll tell you what's really interesting about this, Lance, is genuinely, genuinely, I was very happy Mm. when I was growing up. I was very, very happy. And when I look back on some of the things that I had experienced as a kid, they are so typically the sort of things that people bring to the surface in their adult life to use as the reason as to why they are damaged, broken, there's a point of no return, and are used as an excuse for being mean Mm -hmm. and unkind and damaging. But you know what? Like It's only in my later years where I look back on some of those pivotal moments, and some of them I speak about and some of them I don't, and we'll get into some of them today. But I look back and I think, my God, yeah, actually, I did experience quite a lot of adversity even as a young man. But what I find really interesting about that is honestly, mate, I was very happy. <laughs> I was, I was really, I was really happy. There was, um, yeah, there were moments and there were times. And as I say, there's the reason there's like a slight bit of apprehension is that some of these moments I really don't often get into. I get into them very, very rarely. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are elements of my story that people don't even know about. And even in my head now, I'm sort of battling with it and thinking, you know, how, how much do I share? It's really interesting, but Pivotal moments, mate. Yeah, there's there's been quite a few. There's been quite a few. I've got a feeling, Lance, you're probably the man to draw them out of me, just on the basis of what we've been talking about up until this point. But yeah, there's been there's been a few pivotal moments. Yeah, and the thing is, as well, is like sometimes our childhood. We have a great childhood. It doesn't mm. have to be. I feel that it shows up at some area of your life, these, these hard challenges and yeah. they're coming for you no matter what. And I'm like you, man, when I, when I grew up, I was a happy kid too. It wasn't until my teen years, mm-hmm. but now that I look back that the only reason that I'm able to do what I'm able to do now, and you may mm-hmm. be agreeable to agree with me is like the love that I had installed at me in such a young age, because that, that, that window from like, let's say zero till 10 yeah, is such a vital window that if you did have a good childhood where you're happy, you had a lot of love, you had a lot of family, that sets a really solid foundation for you. So yeah. that when you go through things later, yeah, you have, you have a basis on to work with because you have that foundation. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of uncluttering a lot of the shit that we learn later on. Yeah. So for you, you know, as a, as a kid growing up, you were happy. When did Mm. things start to get challenging for you? It's so interesting. Like when I think about the timeline this way, because Mm. I think one thing that I am genuinely blessed with is uh, a perception that I respect a lot. Like I, I, I endeavor 
to look for the reasons as to why something is going to be really, really fucking good. Like it's naturally where my viewpoint goes. And I've always naturally had that viewpoint. But where I felt like it started to be really challenging for me is hearing the viewpoints that people had about me and being told at a young age that I was very serious and I didn't have a sense of humor and that I was difficult to be around. And I wasn't the sort of person that you would enjoy being in the same, in the same fucking room with. Like, and I'm hearing this like from a really young age and thinking, I feel quite bright. <laughs> I feel quite happy. I feel quite content with myself and my life and what I'm doing, but I'm hearing something completely different. That was mm. sort of really difficult. And I had experienced something a few years before that when I was really, really young. And this is something I don't talk about a lot whatsoever and you know i still don't share the details of this for like various different reasons but there was a sexual abuse that i experienced when i was really really young and um and it was so bizarre because it's like i swear to god mate when i when i first started moving into the coaching space when i was an adult i used to look around me at, at all of these coaches that had experienced adversity in their life and i genuinely used to think I'm not going to be very good at this because I've never once experienced an ounce of adversity. And it was only when I was sort of telling people about my story and some of the things that I'd experienced growing up and some of the places that I'd been and the things that I'd seen that people were saying to me, fucking hell, Liam, like there's a lot of adversity in your story. And I swear to God, Lance, I never, I actually didn't see it. I didn't see it. I didn't recognize it. I, I didn't believe that I had adversity in my story. It was only later, like when I became an adult and I looked back and I thought, holy shit. Yeah. Some of the stuff that I did experience and some of the stuff that I did see would be considered to be quite uh, difficult to deal with. But I just, I don't know. I just didn't, it's almost like it didn't register. It, it was almost like it was just so normal to me. And I do have a bright perspective and you know, I hate the term glass half full, but I do very much have that viewpoint. And I think because of that, I kind of almost, uh, didn't really uh, I didn't really process it much of the stuff that was happening you know what was it where your how are your parents was there because you're you seem like you were raised well right? yeah like how how was the foundation that they gave you yeah uh, amazing it really was incredible mm. you know if for you know difficult sometimes yeah. of course because you know families are our families but you know it was a really interesting dynamic with with my parents because my dad's he is just an incredible man, like really humorous, really funny, very kind, caring, soft, never would very rarely you would see him in an argument. You would very rarely even see him angry or upset, just very easygoing. And then my mum was a bit more stern in a way, but came from a place of education and came from a place of um, guidance but in somewhat of a kind of, uh, I suppose, in, in, in a bit of a difficult way. She just, she, she was like the tougher one and my dad was the softer one. But both came from like a real place of love and caring in a, in a big way. So, so that was, you know, and that was, that was a solid foundation to work, to work from. It really was. I won't dig too deep on the, the sexual abuse because obviously you don't, talk about it too much but what i will ask you about that is 
Because I've been studying trauma a lot and I've been studying and I, I'm sure you coach as well. And it's a big issue with a lot of people and, and the behaviors that come from those traumas. Yeah. Was there any behaviors that you noticed later on that you can identify came from that? Or is there mm -hmm. any sort of like patterns of like depression or I don't know. There, there's so many different ways that that can, can manifest in your life and your behavior yeah. and, and, and how you, how you look at yourself and your, your, your confidence and your, yeah. uh, how you, how you present yourself. Was there anything like that that you noticed that maybe you didn't earlier on, on in life? There, there was one, one really significant thing that had affected me for my entire life. And in many respects still affects me now. It made me feel very, very small, very small physically, mentally, emotionally. It made me feel like a very small person that then as I grew older, I felt like a small teenager and I felt like a small man that it, I know that's sort of quite vague and broad in many respects. And there's probably a lot of things that can fall into that, but when I really think about it and I really unpack it, that was the number one sort of result of that for me in terms of my mental state, my physical state, my spiritual state. It's, it did indeed make me feel very small. Mm -hmm. And I, and it's really interesting because I've not even really necessarily done many things to address that or overcome it. And I think that's partly because I, I genuinely do have a lot of respect for my own mindset. I can mm -hmm. utilize and use my own mindset in very powerful ways uh, that have allowed me to overcome great adversities in my adult life. And I've experienced more adversities in my adult life than my childhood by mm -hmm. far. But, but yeah, that, that really did make me feel very small. And I felt very small for a long time. Yeah. Stuff's so interesting. Like, you know, how we, how we piece together our journey through life, you know, yeah. and how certain things affect people worse than others, you know, because if that happened to certain people, that would have fucked them up for life mm -hmm. or, you know, but I really believe as well, though, that the foundation that you had, that's why I asked about your parents. Yeah. It gives you so much. And it's the same with me because I went through a lot of shit as well. And I could really resonate with your story in my teen years and later on. But like I said before, I'm like, well, how did I end up okay? You yeah. know, I did have my toxic habits and, and, and drinking and drugs, but it's because of the love. It's because of the family support I had in those days, those, that, that part. So it's always interesting to see because if one part of those is if someone says, Oh no, my dad was away. My, my, I got, I had a really hard upbringing. I had like a lot of like, you know, I didn't have love. Well then they're fucked for a while usually. Yeah. Right. No. And it's like, it's like that key piece that we mm -hmm. don't really think about sometimes. Mm, I know, mate. I know. I tell you it, it, again, I, I, my mindset always, and I don't know why this is the case. I don't know where it comes from, mm. but my mindset is always searching for the good. Like what mm. is good there? What can I take from that? What can I learn from that? And I tell you one thing that it really sort of, God, can I say that it taught me this? Can I say that? I don't know if I'll go as far as that that sort of experience I had and that those series of experiences I had 
um, taught me this, but it allowed me to be very comfortable by myself. Mm. I'm really, really at home on by myself. I can be by myself so easily. I, I can. All, I'm also thriving when I'm with my my wife and gorgeous baby girl who's just been born. Second um, of December, twenty twenty, little baby posy, and um, but you know, but I think as a result of what had happened, I was comfortable being alone and I really cherish that I think that's a real gift to have that ability to be by yourself just because I hear so much about the dreaded effects of loneliness and things like that and how actually it's like the biggest killer of of people around the world and stuff but I'm more than happy to be by myself and I feel like that's partly as a result of what happened so there's a little, there's a little bit of thankfulness there, and I sort of I'm always looking for that. You know, what what can I be thankful for in any situation? I can I can tell that just about your energy, your your general optimism in life. I really believe that, you know, as cliche as it is, the glass half full, seeing it is so important, and it's yeah. it really is a perspective shift. It's mm. you know I talk about this a lot. It's it's victim versus empowerment. You have mm -hmm. a choice right? You have a choice to look at your situation Definitely. and look at it. Like how, how can I be, how can I learn from this? Like the grant, the gratitude in the moment. Mm. I really think it's such an important piece because yeah. if you can be grateful for the moments that aren't as smooth and comfortable, yeah. well then you're worthy of, and then you deserve when the moments are comfortable and then you mm. bring more of that into your life. And yeah, like I see a lot of people who just look at life the other way. It's like a victim to every single circumstance. It's like, oh, it's this guy's fault. It's the president's fault. Somebody didn't do this or it's the Wi-Fi's fault or it's every, there's always a reason. And yeah. a lot of times they forget to control what they can control. Like yeah. what can you do right now to empower yourself? Right. percent, mate. A hundred percent. Like, I, it, it it's almost a flaw, but I actually hate that mindset. Like I really, really don't, I really dislike it because yeah, I, I know it's sort of a natural element that people have either. They've got the victim mindset or they've got that empowerment mindset. But when people are so jammed in that victim mindset and the blame has been placed on everyone else and everything. And there's no focus on where their empowerment or what they can do to fix the situation. It's like a big pet peeve for me. It's like a big irritant because everyone has that ability to find the reason as to why they can do something or go somewhere or build something or be empowered, even in devastating situations. And you, you've totally hit the nail on the head, right? It's like a buzzword that's overused too much, but really people need to focus on gratitude. Like they need yes. to focus on it. Like they, I really want all of the listeners of this podcast, when you're hearing us talk about gratitude, right? When me and Lance are talking about it, when other people are talking about it, don't just allow it to be another one of those buzzwords that comes and goes, because I swear to God, it's the magic source. Like it really is the magic source that you need in your life to fulfill your life. Like if we take that glass half full example again, it's not even just about looking at the glass and realizing it's half full. 
It's also about realizing how devastated you would be if you lost that half of the glass. So actually, you're so happy that you've got it. Not just about the fact that it's there, but also understanding what life would be like if it wasn't there. And then really, truly appreciating the fact that it is there. And the sheer fact that it is there is enough to celebrate and is enough to be fulfilled, let alone not looking at the half that you don't have. Fuck that, mate. Like, what a big waste of time that is. Be so grateful for the half that you do have because there is someone else out there that doesn't have that half. There's someone else out there that doesn't even have a fucking glass, mate. And we, we've got a glass and we got half water inside that glass. Like, there's, so, there's always so much to be grateful for, even in times of awful, dreadful adversity. That's when you need it the most. That's what saved me, 100%. That's what saved me. Dude, me too, man. Gratitude changed my life, no doubt. I talk about it. Everybody's heard me talk about it a million times on air. Like, it's the number one thing. It's the number one thing to change your life. And you don't deserve the other half of the glass if you don't appreciate the half you have. Yeah. Like, it's fucking, don't even think about it. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it's, uh, it, it's so important. And, it's like some people ask, you know, what, what can I do to change? Like, what did you do? I'm like, you're, you're not going to love this answer because it's the simplest thing. <laughs> yet the hardest. Yeah. It's like, focus on what you have. It's just like, Feel it's that. So, isn't it so irritating? <laughs> because it's almost like the, it's almost like they've heard it so much that they're not listening to it anymore, mm. but it's, we're here to say, no, no, no. Like, truly listen mm. don't don't just skip forward don't just go to another podcast don't just move on with your life like truly listen mm. when we say to focus on the things that you've got opposed to focusing on the things that you don't have please do it like don't mm. just think about it feel it be it mm. refocus readjust your perspective and your viewpoint towards the things that you've got instead of the things that you don't. And I swear to God, like you said, Lance, right? It's the simplest things. Mm. If people actually did it, if they actually did it, they would realize the power of that. There's mm. so much power in there. Yeah, bro. So I want to keep things going in this direction here. And, you know, you have gone through some crazy shit in your life. So I'm just kind of like, Warming us up. So, okay. So you're growing up, walk us through your path. What were you, what were you wanting to do? Like, where did you see yourself in the future? And walk us through like sort of the, the way through the, the film business and, and sure, yeah. walk us through the journey of, you know, your teen years to how you ended up doing that. I, I, I wanted to be famous. Right. There's no doubt about it. I wanted to be famous. Right. I wanted Fuck to be yeah, standing man. up. Fuck yeah. I, I, I swear I wanted. To, and I tell you what, it's really funny thinking about it now and having this conversation. Like, I don't doubt there's an element of the abuse that I'd experienced when I was younger, making me feel very small. Right. I, there's no, I wanted to be a fucking gladiator, mate. Like, I wanted to be a beast. I wanted to be big physically. I wanted to be big 
in the world. Like I wanted everybody to know my name. I wanted to be so famous that there wasn't one person on this planet that didn't know my fucking name. Right. I wanted that badly. And I look at it now and I think, well, of course, there's going to be an element of that because I've felt small when I was younger. So I was I was on that mission. Yeah, I was on a mission for freedom. And I was on a mission for fame. They were the two things I wanted. I wanted to live a life where nobody could ever tell me what to do. And I wanted everybody to know my name. And I thought, well, <laughs> how am I going to do that? Right? How am I going to do it? I was not, and this, this was when I was 19 years old. And I woke up one morning and I just made the decision, I'm going to be an actor. Right. I'd never acted a day in my life. I didn't do any of the school plays when all the other kids did the school plays. I didn't know anyone that was an actor. There were no actors in my family. And I literally just walked down to my local theater and I was like 19. And I just said, look, I've never done this before. I want to be an actor. And they said, look, come and audition for this play that we're going to do next week. Right. There's auditions next week. The plays in like a few months. I went and auditioned. I got the part. And then a couple of months later, I'm standing up on stage for the first time ever, right, in this little amateur dramatic society theater. And there were, I swear to God, mate, there were literally five people in the audience. The first ever time I stood there and I took a bow, there were five people in the audience. And I felt like a star, mate. I felt like, a, I felt like the most famous man on the planet. I loved it. And two of those were my mum and my sister. But anyway, after that, I did another play and another play and another play. And then I went to drama school in London. I did three years at drama school. I really ran with this thing. Like I really ran with it. Then I did like a few uh, professional plays. Then I did a few bits of, uh, did, a, did a few bits on TV. And then I did a few good films. And then there came this like massive opportunity where I was, had the chance to body double for Tom Hardy in uh, Batman, right? And he plays the character Bane. And at the time I was like big and stocky. I was into bodybuilding and stuff. And I went to this audition and they were like, look, are you willing to shave your head? And are you willing to get like put on even more weight if we need you to? I was like, yes, yes, definitely. And literally, mate, a week later, I'm on set with Tom Hardy, Christian Bale, Anne Hathaway, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman. I'm like, this is it. This is it. I've made it. I've made it. I did six months on Batman. Then I did another film with Benedict Cumberbatch after that, which was amazing. We had like a wicked fight scene. And I did like a few more bits on TV. And then literally out of nowhere, and I don't know why this happened, all the work dried up. I was not getting any auditions anymore. I wasn't getting any more work. My agent stopped calling me. And me and my wife had just moved into an apartment in London. And I'm like, fuck, I've got to pay my bills. I've got, I, I got to pay my rent. I had no way of paying my rent. And so I thought to myself, what's the one job I can do where I can still pay my rent, but I can still get to auditions if I get an audition? And uh, I became a, a postman or a mailman, as, uh, as it's known over in the US. And so I went from being an actor to being a mailman. And I tell you what, at the time, it was like, this is just part time, part time, right? I'm just going to do it until I get another good role. And then it was like one week, two weeks went by, one month, two months, six months, one year, two years. And I was like, oh, no. And I just became a full-time mailman. But I swear to God, mate, the moment, right, the, the straw that broke the camel's back is that one day I was covering somebody else's round and I was sorting out all the packages. And I looked at the name on one of these packages and it was Tom Hardy. And I had to deliver him a, a package because he lives in this area in London where I was a postman. And at this part of time, like five years had gone by. 
and I grew a big beard. I wasn't looking after myself. Like my, my hair got long, but I, I lost a lot of weight as well. I didn't look cool. I didn't look like cool fucking beach vibe. I looked straggly and fucking unkept. And I knocked on his door and he opened the door. And I swear to God, man, he didn't even know who I was. I, I worked with him every day for six months and he opened the door. He looked me in the face and he didn't, he didn't know me. And I, I didn't even, I couldn't even bring myself to say, can I, you know, do you remember me? I just said, can I have your signature? He gave me a signature for the package. I gave him the package. I, I, I went home and I quit. I was like, fuck this. I'm not doing this anymore. I've got to make something of myself. But that was horrible, mate, to go from like what I thought. Well, I was, I was on track to have a successful acting career and it just completely crumbled. How do we even unpack that? All right. That's like, what did, man. So you're doing well and then all of a sudden out of the blue you don't get work anymore totally out of the blue and you have no idea why no clue my so, agents there shrugging their shoulders going don't know no idea holy shit like like what was how did you how did you feel confidence wise after that like and how did you even i'm just trying to i always put myself in the position mm. right because mm. like i've had a lot of opportunities and fucked it up too or in other ways but like a situation like that where you have things going and mm. you don't know why because usually you know why yeah like it's usually like oh shit i didn't do something but when you didn't know why how no. long did it take and like you know, what were you doing? Did you try and find out why that happened? Like, and then how were you going into the mailman? Like how, how did you like your confidence wise, what was going through your mind? It's, it, I'll tell you what's strange about that is the entire time I was actually convinced the next film was around the corner, Like the whole time mm. I was so convinced that it was just a dip. And if I get this job as a mailman, uh, the next big audition will be round the corner. I know it will be round the corner. So I just persisted. And uh, so, so to answer your question, it actually didn't, I, I can't remember it damaging my confidence levels because I was so convinced it was just a part-time thing. Like I, I was so convinced we we're going to move on to something else, but it was, it was, it was when a year went by that was fucking tough. Cause I was like, Oh shit. Like it's Christmas again. Holy nut shit. And then, and then, when it got to the second year that, and then the whole thing happened where I actually delivered Tom Hardy's mail. And I was like, Oh no, this is like, this is the universe telling me you got, you got to fix this. Like you, you were on set with the biggest actors in the world and you wanted to be really famous and you were on your way. And then the universe came and just went boom and smacked me in the face for, for whatever reason. Right. Mm. And, I, but, but then it was like the, it felt like the universe came to me and was like, look, look, I know I came and smacked you in the face and it is for good reason, but, it wasn't to, to knock you down so badly that you stay down. Come on, get up and do something. And so I was just like, oh, I've got to get out of here now. I've got to do something. So, yeah, it seemed to, it kind of went by quite quick those two years. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember them damaging my confidence levels because I thought it was going to be the next. It was at the end of that that I felt really bad, actually, because I was like, well, it actually hasn't happened. Like, I'm, I'm not going to get another big audition. At this point, like my relationship with my agent and stuff just completely deteriorated. And I was like, I don't think I'm acting anymore. I was like, oh, shit. You should have just been like, Tom, what the fuck, man? Do you remember me or what? Mate, I tell you what, <laughs> all day, yeah, all day, 
I was rehearsing that all day in my head. And I was like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I was like, I'm going to say, do you remember me? It's Liam from Batman. I was your body double. How's things? Graduated from drama school. I'm looking to do another big film. This is temporary, blah, 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 blah. And I just, I just fucking froze, man. I just froze. Like I couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't even say anything. It was the weirdest experience, Lance. It was so bizarre. Yeah. That's, uh, those are the lessons though. This is why it's, it's like, those are the lessons that we go over in our heads and what we can learn from those. And you probably learned a lot from that. Right. So walk us through after that. you you decided to leave the post, the postman. You were like having enough of that. What, what happened next? Yeah. So it was in that moment that I discovered coaching, mm. which is of course what I do now. And I discovered it out of pure necessity, but it's interesting. I say I discovered it, right? Mm. My, my sort of journey into coaching is a very unusual one because my, I, I didn't really properly realize this, but for years, my mom actually ran an academy where she taught people how to be life coaches, but like no young man really pays much attention to what his mom does. Right. But I started sort of remembering all of these things that she was talking about when I was younger. And she actually took me to see to, to Tony Robbins unleash the power within when I was 17. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm like 17 years old, walking on fire with Tony Robbins, like fully empowered. And then I go about the whole rest of my life, kind of completely forgetting that that even happened. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then, I, and then when that whole thing happened where I was like, I've got to change this, I've got to do something more empowering. I was like, oh yeah, that coaching thing that my mum used to do, that, that was pretty good. I was pretty into that at one point. And you know what? I was just absorbing it. I was just eating up all of the information, just reading all the books, watching all the videos, going to all the seminars. And I was like, yes, just using it to empower myself as an individual. And I was like, I can do this, right? I can be a coach. I've been through adversity. I want to genuinely help other people. I want to make something of myself. And I just was like, I just became a, a pure student. I was just like absorbing everything there was to do with coaching. And I did that and I became a coach and I started a very small one-on-one -on -one life coaching business back in the, I remember this January 1st, 2017, January 1st, 2017 was when I was like, this is it. I'm going all in, right? Quit my job as a postman. I'm going all in. And, uh, and I'm going to become a coach. And that's how I entered into this space that I'm in now. I mean, I'm still in the coaching space, of course. It's what I'm known for. But, um, but that, it really came from the necessity of thinking, I need to do something else because fucking acting's not working out. And I need, I want to, and at that point, I started to get the fulfillment and the sense that it was a good thing to genuinely help people. Whereas I think the reason that the universe came and smacked me in the face and knocked my acting career on my ass is because back then I didn't give it, I didn't care about helping people. It wasn't on my agenda. I didn't even think about it. And now obviously I'm in a position where I genuinely add value to so many people's lives. I help so many people, which I love. That's like where I get my energy from. I feel like I needed to be on this path. You know, there, there's something was trying to tell me this is what I need to be doing. Whereas I could have become a very famous actor, helped absolutely nobody, you know, and gone and probably, you know, <laughs> drunk my life away and probably died alone on the floor of like a Vegas casino or something. But like the, the, the universe was saying, no, 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 you've got to be moving in the direction where you genuinely help other people. So yeah, and I discovered coaching. So, yeah. So, I mean, coaching is one of those things where you need to go through quite a, I feel like the more shit you go through, 
mm. as well, the better perspective you have. And I know mm. that with your family and what you've gone through, you've had some big challenges mm. that can help a lot of people. And I can, I can relate with you in those walk us through some of those things, some of those, those things that you've been through, because I think it's really important to, if you're willing to share sure. about what you went through with your dad and then moving forward. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's, it was interesting because actually like two really dramatic things happened within a very short amount of time, really short amount of time. There was a uh, June 3rd, 2017, big, big, big date. And I, I'd only been a coach for like a few months at this point. And this was really, this really proved that my coaching techniques were important to me, mm. but I was at home with my wife that day. And we live above it. We lived above this pub in London, very, very busy London pub. And, uh, and we were looking out of our window, right? Long story short, we were looking out of our window and we could just hear this like horrible, horrific sound of fear, glasses smashing, people running, people screaming. And we looked down and there were people being stabbed, right? Out in the street, just literally right outside our apartment. Just people being stabbed in the back and stabbed in the face, like haywire erratic attack right people being stabbed and attacked stabbed in the face arms legs and it was just like this awful vision of just terror pain and 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 violence right there and now of course we know this was the london bridge terror attacks of 2017 and that was awful because it's like as well we lived the, the pub we lived above they thought there was a bomb in the pub and the police told us you've got to get out of the apartment otherwise this bomb is going to go off and we ran out of the apartment was out on the street where people were being attacked and we uh we managed to get out of there and this guy who was a news reporter he let us stay in his apartment that night and it, i'll tell you what's really weird about that is like immediately after seeing that attack and there was many people died that night we me and my wife we felt completely unaffected but it's the day after that something like that hits you like a ton of bricks and my friends that are in the military said it's almost worse because when you go into a, a war zone you sort of expect to see people being killed but you don't expect to see it you know in your front garden you know in your front yard that's that complete when you're at home in your pajamas watching a movie so that was really difficult to deal with for a while but in terms of like my mindset and the coaching that I do and the things that I teach other people, I just knew that it would have been very, very easy for me to have developed a mindset of hate and judgment and fear. But instead, I knew I needed to develop a mindset of love and understanding and forgiveness and because that was the thing that was going to save us. So I managed to sort of push through that. And I took my wife through that as well. And she was in a bad way, having panic attacks and stuff. And then it was not that long after that, I was at home and I was on the phone to my mum. And it was quite a nice day. The sun was shining. Things were good. I was overcoming the attack. And uh, her doorbell went and she went to answer the door. And then when she came back, she was really crying, like crying so much that I thought the phone was breaking up. And... Um, then a police officer came on the phone and said, you need to get your wife and you need to come to your mum's house now. And I said, you have to tell me what, what is the reason? And she said, look, just, just come to the house. And I was begging. I was like, please tell me. And she said, well, the reason you need to get your wife and you need to calmly make your way to your mum's house is because your dad has stepped in front of a train and has taking his life. And I swear to God, Lance, like I swear to God, my dad 
right? My, my dad, the, the most wonderful man in the world, like just full of humor, full of love, loves his, his dogs, loves his home, loves his kids, loves his car, just is always got a, a, a lighthearted perspective on everything. I just didn't believe it. I was like, nah, like if someone asked me to rank all of the people in my life from most likely to least likely to kill themselves, my dad would be on the bottom of the list. So I didn't believe it. So I said, like, how, how, how do you know my dad has stepped in front of a train? How do you know? And she said, well, this person who stepped in front of a train has your dad's wallet and car keys in his pocket and his car is parked at the train station. And it was genuinely more feasible in my mind that he had been mugged and the mugger had taken his car keys and his wallet, driven to the train station and jumped in front of a train. And it was only the next day when we went to the hospital and they let us see my dad's hand. And like that was always left of my dad was his hand. But my dad had these like really like distinctive hands. Like he had like big, strong dad hands. And he was a plumber his whole life and he used to like get cuts and bruises and dents and stuff like I, I would honestly recognize my dad's hands from a mile away if I was squinting like I would recognize him. So I knew in that moment that it was him. And again, it's it uh, without um, trivializing it because it's been a, a real journey. This was back in 2018. I lost my dad daily, daily gratitude mindset development, perception shifts, awareness shifts, coaching. What I teach other people, I've needed to apply to myself every day, every single day since that dreaded day of October 29th, 2018, that awful, awful day. And yeah, these moments have not only shaped me, but I'm a dad now. You know, I'm a dad now. So these moments have also shaped the entire lineage of what my family will become. Because my my daughter doesn't have grandpa now. And that is a devastation because he was the best dad on earth, the greatest man I've ever met, and was so excited about being a grandpa and would have made the best grandpa ever ever. And he's not here. And I need to process that daily. And the way in which I do that is through coaching. Have you come to terms or any idea why he decided to do that? Mm. So yeah, there's a bit of an interesting story there. So this is a, this is, this could be a, an episode all on its own. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that will have a strong opinion on this, which would be interesting. So Get this, my dad phones his doctor, a doctor whom he has never met, right, in person ever. He's a new doctor at the surgery. Phones him and tells the doctor that he's having trouble sleeping, right? This doctor prescribes him a combination of sleeping pills and antidepressants, right? Combination of pills he'd never had before in his life. And we've also come to discover that if you take this combination of pills, when you're not depressed, right? After nine or 10 days of taking this combination, you're very likely to kill yourself. 
day nine of having taken this combination of Zopaclone and Sotilopram, day nine, he steps in front of a train because he is fucking having trouble sleeping. A doctor who could not have examined his eye movements, his posture, his breathing, his manner, because he's, he's on the fucking phone. Never should he have been prescribed a combination of pills as strong as that for, 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 for not being able to sleep. Maybe if that doctor asked him, how many fucking cups of coffee are you drinking a day? And my dad would have been honest and said, well, I've actually just bought a coffee machine and I'm drinking about 10 cups a day. He could have said to him, cut down on the coffee, maybe have some yoga, meditation, breathing, instead of giving him these pills, which we have also found out that the doctor surgeries here in the UK get paid significant amounts depending on the amount of pills that they can give out to people. And these particular brands were ones that they get paid a hell of a lot of money for. Then my dad would still be here. So, you know, it's a long, that's a, that's another episode that probably that's another conversation for another time. But yeah, so, so he was in terms of answer your original question, the processing it, I swear to God, I actually don't link my dad and suicide together. Like they, I, I don't link them to me. He was stolen. You know, he was stolen because of that situation. He didn't, it's like he didn't leave himself. It's like he didn't have a choice. The the choice was taken away from him. And I can so visualize it now of him being in this almost like haze because of the strength of the pills and the confusion and the fucking, there's things that develop from that. One thing is called akathisia, which is like an irritable feeling to the point where you're so irritated, you you want to end, end your life, which is one of the side effects of these fucking, these pills. But uh, yeah, mate. So that's that's essentially how it happened. It's devastating. Yeah, man. It fucking fuels me because same thing ha- happened to my younger brother. He was given medication and led to suicidal thoughts, and same thing. And the thing that gets me is there's no accountability for these doctors. There's no accountability for. Well, what happens if you don't give them the right medication and they do that? That's a lack of, there, there should be accountability of the responsibility that you have. Just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you can just give people anything. Like you have to be able to be responsible and look at the situation and look at the person. And there's none of that. There's no accountability. And I've talked about this before. It infuriates me, bro, because you're right. And I love that perspective that you're having about your dad is because it wasn't him. There's, there's these, these medications are so fucking dangerous and shouldn't be given to people. And, you know, I don't, I don't really care where anybody has stance on, on this, on this shit, because I, I'm personally against it because of what's happened. And I'm sure there is a small reason where they can help in certain circumstances i'm not a doctor whatever but there mm-hmm. are so many things that we can do to um work on ourselves and, and heal ourselves without medication I, I i love your most recent instagram post you know for people that are listening to this some may, they might be listening to this in a year's time 10 years 20 years time it's the 15th of february 2021 i love your most recent instagram post about that exact thing, you know, depression. Okay. We understand 
there is this thing called depression where you can feel depressed, compressed. But there are many, many questions that you can ask yourself before you get to the point of labeling yourself as depressed. You know, have you moved enough this day? Have you drunk enough water? Have you communicated with enough people that lift you up? It's so unbelievably true. But you know what, Lance, the fucking label, mate, that's a lot easier. That's a lot easier. And also what else comes with a label? A bit of significance also. I am. There's nothing more empowering and disempowering than the words I am, depending on what you use them for. You can say I am a lion. I am a beast. I am a warrior. I am a king. I am a queen. I am a giver. I am a helper. I am blessed. You know, there's a lot of power behind I am, but also there's I am depressed. I am anxious. I am, and lots of fucking disempowering things as well. People have got to be very careful with the I am because the I am is the strongest identity statement that exists. You've got to be very careful with the I am. And when people start bandering around labels and terms like I am depressed and hanging on to it, like it, like it gives them significance or it gives them something almost like being part of a club. Fuck that, mate. No way. You have the, you have the empowerment and you have the ability to get away from that kind of labeling. Yeah. They, they, it gives them something to identify with. Like, and yeah, thank you for that too, because that yeah and 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 somebody made a comment a buddy of mine made a comment about that as well about that post about if you are in that depression area you never say i am like you say i feel like or i'm feeling depressed like there's there you're so right with the i am like you can really like you're not depression no matter what like you're feeling it or you you may be experiencing it but don't don't identify with it as being that because you're telling yourself that's what you are, mm-hmm. and exactly. it's it's dangerous, you know. So, um, yeah, man. I mean, that's what, like you said. This is a whole other conversation, and I want to like. I know we, we're we're running fast on time here, so I I just want to say thank you for first of all, we're you know, before we move on from this. Thank you for sharing that. Like, thank you for. Um, uh, your vulnerability to share that because it's so important and hearing that, like I had to hold back a tear because like just that fucking news is so shocking. And, 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 and it's, it was only so you, you, it just happened three, not even three years ago. Right. Or pretty much three years ago. Yeah. So like, that's still fresh. So I just admire your courage that you're able to show up the way you are right now. And I just want to acknowledge that. And I want everybody listening to acknowledge like how, how much courage that takes to do what you do and to be able to move forward and to fucking help people and empower people with those tools because you've been through some hard shit, bro. You know, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, you know, and it's our, our, our life journey is, 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 to really get comfortable and learn how to dance with those emotions and, and be comfortable with them because they never go away. These deaths we lose, you know, I lost my dad, my brother within the same year and a half. And it's like, it doesn't ever go away. I, I heard honestly, like one of the most wonderful, insightful things from Keanu Reeves, right? Keanu Reeves, who's experienced a lot of grief in his time. And, and I read this online 
And he said that grief never goes away. It just changes shape. And I thought, oh, my God, it gave me goosebumps when he said that because I thought that is so true. It doesn't ever go away, but it does change almost like it changes shape. You know, there are times where the shape is really harsh and difficult to deal with. And there are other times where it changes shape in a way that it can be processed and it can be understood. And then it might change shape again into something more difficult. It never goes away, but it changes shape. And I think if you're aware of that, then it set it, it kind of it, it makes the whole thing a bit easier because you're not because then you're not ever waiting for it to go away because it won't ever go away. And the thing is, is when it comes to talking about my dad, and I appreciate what you've said, mate. So I receive that completely. I, I've stood up on stages around the world and told the story about losing my dad. And I always pair it with some coaching techniques and stuff that have helped me when people want to know. And my viewpoint on that is that I will talk about my dad all day long if someone gives me the opportunity i'll talk about the good bits i'll talk about the bad bits i'll talk about him as a as a dad i'll talk about his memories and i'll talk about how i lost him like i i i have no problem talking about my dad no problem i'll always talk about my dad well he raised a great man that's for sure bro like no doubt so let's let's kind of pivot a little bit and so coaching, right? The, like coaching is so important in a way that it's not about just telling people how to do things, but it's how you, you embody it in your own life is like what mm -hmm. people can see, right? Because, you know, I've played high levels of sports. I've done, you know, been coached by a lot of people as well. And and the best leaders that I've worked for are the people that embody what they teach. Yeah. And, you know, your method of what you've gone through and the way you're able to keep moving forward is really showing that. So walk us through a bit of your coaching. And I know that you help people build coaching programs. And this mm -hmm. is what some like when I, when we talked about before something that I'm looking to do because it's like for me it's the next level of kind of elevation to where I want to go because I'm learning all this I'm going through this and it's kind of like well why am I not coaching like why the fuck mm. like and I I do a little bit but like structurally and like really building that I've kind of been like well how do I do that in a way that's it's like you got all the juice you got all the stuff but how do we package it so I guess. Walk us through your method of coaching maybe and walk us through what that looks like as far as like how important, first of all, creating a coaching program is because there's a lot of entrepreneurs, listeners here. A lot of people want to have their package together, what they got. And what are some of the things they can do, some of the things they can look for? Well, it, it's so important, mate. It's so important. Like, especially in today's day and age, it's the number one way that you will be able to positively affect many, many lives across the globe and build a good life for yourself. Like, it's interesting with the coaching masters. So, you know, and that was the, of course, the business that I founded with my business partner, Lewis. We've gone in stages, like we really have built in stages. Like, for instance, we got to a point where we had been coaches for a while and was seeing a lot of successes as individual coaches. And we got to the point where we became qualified to be able to qualify people as coaches. So we were able to give people that certificate, you know, to sign our name and say, yes, you have what it takes to be a coach. So our very first course 
which is still our hero product today, it's still our flagship course, is a 12-week coaching accreditation program. So people started to join our course. They were going through our 12-week program, becoming qualified and accredited coaches, and they still do to this day, which is amazing. But what I mean when I say we go in stages is then at that point, we had also really truly discovered what it means to be able to not only be a coach, but to create a coaching business and be able to get lots of clients. And then we created a second course, which was a 16 week course about how to get clients. So we were like building it in stages and we we're like, okay, right. Coaching accreditation, right. We've got that course under the belt. Then we've got this other course about launching your coaching business. Then we had like an NLP practitioner course and we were like up leveling coaches. Then we got to the point where we were like, we're not coaches anymore. We're course creators. That's what we do. Like people look at the coaching masters and they see us as a coaching organization and a coaching business. And that's where our expertise comes from. That's where we come from. But really now what we really know more than anything is how to build, create, launch, sell, automate a very, very successful online course. Like now with the coaching masters, we've, we're at a point now where we're generating over $150,000 a month in just in online course sales, just online course sales. And I tell you, I swear to God, mate, it still blows my mind. It really blows my mind because I think what you need is you need a course that adds a ton of value to people's lives. As long as you've got that, you don't need big production value. Every single one of our courses, all of our courses that generate over $150,000 a month, we record every single one on Zoom, every one, just like this, from our homes. I create every single course that we sell in this room. And that's because I don't need a top quality camera. I don't need the best lighting in the world. I don't need a fucking studio. All I need is to make sure that the content of those slides and the content of that recorded Zoom call is such high, is so, so packed with value. That's, that is how you, you know, that's the most valuable thing about an online course. A lot of people get caught up with like, oh my, I'm, it's going to cost me a lot of money. I'm going to have to go and rent a good camera. I'm going to have to go to a studio. And also a lot of people make the mistake of creating a course first, then trying to sell it. We teach methods where you sell the course first then you build the course. You sell it, you build a syllabus, you find out what people want, you go to them, you ask them what they want, you survey them, you readjust the syllabus until it's just right, then you sell it, then you build it. And you don't have to worry about, oh, mate, what if nobody buys it? Because they've already bought it, right? So there's loads of things you can do to build a very successful online course. And I think, personally, I think it's one of the most important things in the world at the moment because because of what's happened with COVID. Everyone's moved online. Everybody's looking for a new opportunity. People want fulfillment. People want to make a difference in the world. But most importantly, look at the, what's happening in the education system at the moment. All of the kids are being homeschooled. How are they being homeschooled? Through online courses. That's how they're being homeschooled. Those kids, they are the buyers of tomorrow. And the way that they know education is in the online format. Now is the time to build an online course. Right now, this is the time. I love that because I've heard that before. There's someone else that I've followed in the past. Um, she's from the UK too. I think Lauren Tickner. I think that's her name. Um, cool. There's a couple other people I've followed in the past that have said that as well. Is like, 
you, you sell it before because it makes more sense rather than taking all the time building it and then putting it out in the market. It doesn't really make sense. It's better to sell it first. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are hesitant about doing that, but it's super important. And thank you for sharing that. So like where I want to ask you about this as well is like, what makes a good course versus a shit course? Sure, sure, sure. A good course is one that's full of everything you have, right? And what I mean by that is I see a lot of people creating courses where they give you like one piece of the puzzle. So, and the only way I can think about this is from the viewpoint of how the coaching masters have done it. Every time we've mastered something in our life, we then, when we package that up in an online course, we don't leave anything off the table. We don't leave any stone unturned. Like when we got to the point where we became very good coaches and we could qualify other people as coaches, when we created our 12-week coaching accreditation, we literally just packed it with everything we knew, everything. There wasn't any other little secret techniques that we were holding back or not telling people because they've got to like buy a, you know, spend a premium price. The best way to have a very successful online course is take all your wisdom, all your knowledge, all your expertise in one particular field and throw it all into that one course. So the course is so valuable that you have everybody who's gone through the course telling everybody else about how good the course is. The second thing you want to do is you want to create a very close-knit family vibe, right? And the way that you do that and this is, this is the best way of doing it because it's easier for the course creator as well. Create the syllabus, go out there, sell the course, right, first, like I said before. But then the way that you deliver the course the very first time is live. Get everybody on a Zoom call so everyone gets to know each other. Everybody gets to chat in the chat box whilst you're delivering this content. And then you take the recording from that live and then that becomes your course for the next time it's run. And then the next time it's run, you use the recording. But that first one has got a real good family vibe to it because everybody's there and everybody's live. And what you want to always make sure that you do, you always want to make sure there is a live element. So the way that it works with the coaching masters is there's two sessions per week. The first session is a pre-recorded training that either me or Lewis did once upon a time we did it live. But the second session of that week is a live interactive workshop that's run by one of our facilitators. You've got to always have a bit of a, a bit of a live element to it because that's what makes it really valuable. And that's what keeps keep people in that kind of family-esque vibe, you know? Because everybody wants to be part of something, a tribe. They want to be part of like a vision for the future together. You know, it's in our DNA. Exactly, mate. Exactly. And yeah. Thank you for sharing that, man. Because yeah, man, it's, it's, it's so true what you say, right? This this is mm. the Coaching Masters logo, right, here. Mm. M- me and Lewis, the reason that we got these tattoos is because about 20 of our students had already got it. We weren't even the first ones to get the, the Coaching Masters logo tattooed on us. Wow. People were literally popping up saying, one person did it. They were like, I've got the, uh, because of what it means to me. Because of our, our slogan is we give ordinary people extraordinary tools to create freedom for themselves and others. And someone's like, I love that. I want to embody it and got the tattoo. Mm. Then another person, then another person, then another person, then another got to the point where me and Lewis were like, fuck, we, we actually better get it as well. Cause we're like the leaders that kind of tribe element you talk about, mate, when people want to be part of it so much, they're getting it tattooed on them without you asking them or without you even doing it yourself. 
that's that's like what you want to create that's when you know you've made impact like when you're part of something where people start doing things like that like that's like real tribal shit like getting tattoos of like like you know like it's it's crazy man it's uh it's so cool to hear um because i'm i'm part of um, i'm part of aubrey marcus's fit for service fellowship um, I don't know if you're familiar of Aubrey Marcus, but sure. like we've been in it, I've been in it for, you know, it's the second year and there's this logo that people are all starting to get now. Cause it's just like, it brings you, it unites together. It's like, a, it's just, it's, it's cool to see because that's when you know you've hit something. Like that's when you know, you're like, all right, this is, this is the real deal. This is like, I'm, and you're hitting at a level of people where they're willing to put something permanently on their bodies. So well done, man. Well done. And thank you for sharing some of that insight because a lot of people um, have, again, the scarcity mindset. I don't want to give too much because then they're going to get all my stuff and, um, you know, then they'll just, you know, this like, I'm scared to lose you feeling. But mm. what people don't understand, it's like the more you give, the more they want to like support you also. Definitely. And the people that... The people that are like taking from you and don't want to buy from you because they got what they want, you don't want them anyways. It's Absolutely. Like these people, and that's why like so many smart marketers and, and people in, in the business do well. It's like they give, give, give. And then the minute they sell something, everybody fucking buys it because they're like, oh, you've given, you've changed my life. You've given me so much value. I just want to like support you. And, and what you're saying with the course is so important. It's like you jam pack it so full of all the stuff you need. People are just like, I can't believe this is, I can't believe I get this. And yeah. and that's the feeling. And it's like not worrying about like, oh, I don't want to tell them all my secrets because then I can't upsell them. Like, it's like, it's such a fucking bullshit way to think. hundred percent, mate. It really is. Like, And the thing is, there was like a real, there was like a really distinctive period of time where the online space, especially with courses and stuff like that, it's almost like if you bought a course, you knew you weren't really getting the whole picture because you knew that at the end of that course, there was another course you needed to buy in order to get the full picture. So you got to come at it from a really refreshing point of view and just give it all, just give all of it away. Because without a doubt, that is the thing that builds true loyalty and super fans as well when you can when you can sell one 12 week course that literally changes people's lives because you've put everything into it the best techniques methods frame and the thing is i'm talking about it from the point of view of a, of a coaching course but the greatest thing about online courses is you can offer value in any area depending on what it is you might be an amazing baker you might be great at car maintenance you might be an amazing dog groomer Right. And you can create an online course teaching people how to do that stuff from their homes. Just make sure that when you do it, you you really give it like you mm. really give it and you just give everything that you've got. Like, and you give them your best bits because that's how you create that loyalty and that tribe vibe and people getting to the end of that course and thinking this is amazing. And I would have more of this. Right. When you do then have something else to sell afterwards, I will take it because I trust this person. They've given me so much value. They've given me so many breakthroughs and they've not fucking held anything back. Mm. I mean, that builds trust. That builds real genuine trust. Mm. And it's, it's worked really well for the coaching masters. That's what we do. Every course, that's we just awesome. give everything we've got. Dude, that's so awesome. And it's so well, so much needed right now. Where can we find you? Where, if somebody wants to learn more about, um, first of all, 
you know, your coaching services and how they can think about building their own coaching program, where can they, where can they go? Sure. Well, we've actually got something massive that's happening that we're very, very, very excited about that's happening this week. So on the 23rd, 24th and 25th of February, me and my two business partners, Lewis and Johnny, we're hosting three days of completely live training, teaching people all of the intricate little elements of how to create a very profitable online course. Naturally, within the space of one podcast episode, there's little nuggets. There's not really much detail we can go into, um, but there'll be a link. And I believe that'll be in the, the show notes, Lance, and, and you know, anywhere else. And it's www.thecoachingmasters.com forward slash university in honor of the uh, university of adversity of course so yeah that's the coachingmasters.com forward slash university and it's a completely free training just click that link put in your name and email address and then you'll be taken to a facebook group and inside of that facebook group we're delivering that training live 23rd 24th and 25th of february so for anyone that's ever and you mentioned this as well, Lance. You're like, you know what? This is something I'd be really interested in, building an online course, giving people my value in that format. So so absolutely join as well, mate. But for mm. anyone listening that's thinking even a tiny bit that you would like to build an online course, even if you have no idea where to start, what that course would be about, where your superpowers are, what that niche would be, just, just join. Just join because we're going to answer all of those questions over three days. Awesome. Awesome, brother. And we'll have all your show notes, all that in the show notes um, and also your social media links and all that so people can learn more about you also. Nice, man. Nice. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I know we went over time. I know it's like 9 p.m. there and I appreciate it, dude. I uh, I just wanted to make sure that we didn't miss anything. So thank you so much. And just one more question before we wrap up. Of course. What is one lesson that adversity has taught you? composure. That is the greatest lesson that I've taken from every ounce of adversity I've ever experienced. And it's a lesson that I highly value. It's a trait that I highly value. It has truly allowed me to develop very, very, very sturdy and solid composure in any situation that's yet to be truly shaken. So I, I I love my adversity for that. Dude, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the, the bright light that you are, for sharing your truth, your story. And dude, honestly, for what you're doing is, is massive and very inspiring. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lance. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. The link to go check out Liam's program, what he's got going on is all in the show notes. Make sure to go and follow him and keep up to what he's doing. And if you guys did get value from that, please leave us a review on Apple. Share this on social media with a friend that needs it. And please subscribe. If you guys haven't yet, if you like this content, if you like to not have to think about it and have it downloaded automatically, hit the subscribe button where you're listening to this. And this is always available on YouTube also. All right, everybody, much love. Catch you next time.